Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. I want to ask if you are physically able to do so. Would you take a copy of God's word and open it with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 24, for this morning's message and for our time together today. Exodus chapter 24, and then by the end of the message, Lord willing, we will turn to Exodus chapter 32. This morning, I want to begin a new sermon series just for the next several weeks uh, to share with you what God has been laying on my heart personally, and God has really been convicting me to consider in my life, in, in my role as a husband, as a father, in my role as a pastor here at Crosslink. God has really been convicting me with a question of examination that I believe needs to be asked of every single one of us this morning. And so I wanna begin by asking you that question, and it's really simple, it is this. Have you lost it? Have you lost it? Now, a few of you chuckle a little bit because your mind immediately is likely going to the fact that on your way to church this morning, someone pulled out in front of you and you lost it in that moment, okay? Like you lost a little bit of your mind and your patience in that moment. Some of you hear that question, have you lost it? And your mind is like, wait a second, Pastor, that's a trick question. I can't answer it until I know what it is, right? I mean, we've all lost something before. We've lost our keys, we've lost our wallet, we lost the remote, we've lost our mind, whatever. And so you're like, I can't really answer that question until I know what it is referring to. But have you lost it? See, the reality is there are some things in our life along the way that we lose and we immediately know that we lost it because there's that sense of, of something's out of place, something is missing, and so we quickly go looking for it. But there are often times that we lose something of value that we don't even realize in the moment. Now, let me illustrate that maybe in a very simple and practical uh, way uh, along the way. So in the course of my sabbatical, God was so gracious. Thank you for your prayers for us and, and your continued support of us. We had a wonderful time. I was able to have uh, some time alone with the Lord. In fact, some of that time involved no internet, no cell phone, and it was absolutely heavenly. It was me in a cabin, a Bible, a journal, and some cows in the Lord, and it was awesome, you know? And so I had some time alone with the Lord. I was able to have some time uh, with some other pastors and go to a convention, have great fellowship there. I was able to have some time alone uh, with my wife for a week just to, to be refreshed and reconnect. It was so good. And then I had some time with our family. Now, now I honestly, in 18 years of ministry, I've never had the kind of time away, length of time that I was able to have in the sabbatical. And so as I'm looking at the time, there's something in the back of my mind that I always wanted to do, but never had the time to do. And that is, I've always wanted to take a road trip out west. Now, I've flown out west to Texas, or I have flown to California once in my life, but I've never had a, a big road trip to go see the national parks and go try the food and go see the different you know, scenes along the way. And so when I realized I had an extended period of time and I'm looking and realizing, you know, my oldest son's a senior in high school. If, if we don't do this now, we're never gonna do it. We planned a five-week road trip across the country, all right? Praise God, we survived, and we survived one another. It was awesome, you know? And so we planned this incredible trip to, to take in all the sites. But let me give you a little bit of backstory of a little thing in our life that happened prior to our road trip. One of the things that I absolutely love about my amazing wife is 
that she's very frugal. She's very wise with our financial resources and, and we don't spend it if we don't have to and, and that's helped us be wise stewards of God's blessings and it's helped us to be generous and she does a wonderful job at those things but there's been a time or two in the course of our marriage where that's caused us to butt heads because there's been a time or two along the way that I'm like, hey, let's go spend the money. We need to replace this and she's like, no, I can get one more day out of this. You know, like give me one more day and then we, and so that's created a, a conflict a time or two and one of the small areas that we've seen that in the course of our marriage has been over a certain pair of shoes that she has. In fact, Heather, I've learned through the years, is that she had a pair of sandals that I think was her favorite because they were most comfortable, and they were a pair of Birkenstock sandals. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, I have to confess, I don't know anything about Birkenstocks apart from what I have learned from watching my wife through the years, and so I don't know about their comfort, never had a pair of my feet, but I learned the other day that this was one of the very first things that she purchased with her own money when she was in high school, right? Really cool. So she has this pair of Birkenstock sandals. And through the years along the way, I've begun to notice that, that they're looking older and they're kind of wearing down a little bit. And, and in fact, they're kind of reached the point where they look like they survived the flood. But that's another story. And so through the years, there have been times that I'm like, hey, let, let's get another pair of sandals or we should do this. And but the bottom line is that she's been wise financially. We don't need to do this. We're not gonna spend the money. But that all changed in April of this year. In April on a Friday night, our whole family got together, family movie night, and, and we're sitting there and we're literally flipping the channels to get to the auxiliary channel so that we can watch our family movie. And as we do, we pass a little network called the Home Shopping Network. Anybody ever done that before? And so literally we flip right by it. And Heather says, wait, go back. So we go back, and sure enough, guess what's on the Home Shopping Network? Birkenstocks. And she's looking, and there's these styles and these different colors and different things, and, and she's like, uh, I don't need them. Mine are still good. You know, they'll last another 24 hours. I'm fine, you know. And, but I'm, on a, I'm like looking, and I'm thinking, Heather, I start laying it on thick, like, it's Mother's Day next month. You're about to finish the semester of your grad school and, 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 and all these things. We're going on our sabbatical trip this summer. Like, now's the time. You got to get these things. So she got her phone. She literally called the home shop. We've never purchased anything, I don't think, on the television. But it was a family event. We're all sitting in the living room. We all hear the phone call. We all hear the transaction. Got a few laughs out of Bob on the phone. And sure enough, she made the purchase. And a week later, the shoes arrived. And she's excited. I mean, not like in an idolatry excitement. She's excited. I mean, this new pair of shoes and she puts them on and she's like, oh, these are so comfortable. And she wears them twice, I think, maybe three or four times before our road trip. We begin our journey. We go through Nashville. We go through Texas. We go through the Grand Canyon. We go through Phoenix. We go to San Diego and we're having a great time. Now, when we started our trip, five-week journey, we were blessed to borrow a vehicle, frankly, that had some space. In fact, somebody offered it to us and said, listen, you'll have more room for your family to move around. And so here is our family vehicle packed up, everything fairly neat and in order. The first week of our trip, frankly, it was easy to load up and unload as we'd go to a campground to stay in a cabin or go stay with a friend or stay at a hotel. It was so easy that first week. But don't you know along the way, on any journey, you begin to acquire stuff, Right? I mean, a souvenir here and a souvenir there. Oh, we gotta get coolers of ice because we gotta get water bottles when we go into the park or we keeping the meat cold before we go to the campground. And, and we stopped at some stores along the way and we found some great deals on back to school shopping. And I mean, literally just a week or two into it, we're starting to have to maneuver how we get in and out of the vehicle because we got so much stuff. See, this vehicle that was given with more room for us to move around 
all of a sudden we were having less room because we were becoming cluttered. We get to San Diego. While we're in San Diego, we experience a sickness. I'll probably tell you more about that later on. We get out of San Diego. We continue on in our journey. And I'll never forget the moment Heather said to me, you know, I think we lost one of my sandals. I'm like, what do you mean? One of my Birkenstocks. I'm, I'm pretty sure we lost one of my Birkenstocks. And I'm thinking, what? There's no way that's possible. I mean, we, we, we were all there. We know how important that was. We were all part of this transaction. This big old vehicle, it's gotta be in here somewhere. She said, okay. We go on. I'm totally convinced. I'm kind of passively, you know, just passing it off. It's not that big of a deal. We continue on our journey. We, we go on eventually through Utah and we go through Utah and Heather's like, you know, I'm pretty sure we lost this sandal. And I'm thinking, no, it's impossible. Like this was a, such, such value and significance. How could we ever overlook it? And so I began when I would stop to fuel up occasionally to look in the midst of the clutter. But frankly, it was hard to look because we had so much stuff in the vehicle. I mean, I, at this point though, as I'm starting to realize two or three or four stops, I can't find it. I'm like telling the kids, hey kids, you gotta clean up your stuff. We gotta look for the shoe. Like, but we are still convinced it's got to be in this vehicle. We drive all the way back to Virginia. We get here. I think we had passed 19 states, a whole lot of miles. And we get back to Virginia and I start unpacking the vehicle. And then I start the process of cleaning the vehicle. I'm serious. I think I cleaned it two or three times. I'm looking in every nook and cranny trying to find it. And lo and behold, what I found was not two, but a single right-footed Birkenstock sandal. You know what that means, don't you? It means that somewhere between here and San Diego, California, there's a left-footed sandal just sitting there lonely all by itself, right? <laughs> somewhere along the way, we lost it. Now, now, I realize that's a trivial illustration. It's simple. I don't share that for sympathy. We can get another pair of sandals, and Heather can wear Noah's other shoe, you know, when we get back home. But the bottom line is, I'm being facetious. The bottom line is something of importance was lost because we were distracted and cluttered. The, the truth is, over the course of sabbatical, I had the opportunity to, to talk with several different pastors from different states and time zones and regions, and we had a great time of fellowship to talk about things that we see God doing and how God's working in our own lives. But at the same time, we also had an opportunity to talk about the context of the Big C Church and what we are seeing and what we aren't seeing and things that are lacking and things that are missing and areas of concern. And the question I began to wonder along the way in the context of the big C church, but I wonder in the context of our local church, but also in the context of our homes and in the context of each of our lives is this, have we lost it? What am I referring to? Here's what I'm referring to. Have we lost our focus on the glory of God? Have we lost our focus on the glory of God? Well, many people will be uncertain. Well, what do you mean by the glory of God? The word glory here is an interesting word because to speak of the glory of God is to speak of the greatness of God, the significance of God, the power of God. The glory of God is a revelation of all that he is. And it's the glory of God that evokes us to a place of response where we respond with awe. We respond with worship. We respond with devotion. When we get a grasp of the glory of God, it brings us to a place where we want our lives to bring glory and honor to him. Paul David Tripp, the writer, said it this way, the doctrine of God's glory encompasses the greatness, the beauty, and perfection of all that he is. The Old Testament word for glory literally means weight or heaviness. 
which may sound strange, but the idea here is that it's describing the worth and value of something. If you are describing the worth and value of a gemstone or of a diamond, even of products that we purchase every single day, they are priced and valued on the basis of their weight. The idea here is that we are looking at the greatness of God, who he is in all of his majesty. We're determining his worth and value and we are responding as a result. So the question is this, have you lost sight of the glory of God? The truth is, many of us here today know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If we were to breathe our last breath, we are confident and assured that we would spend an eternity in heaven because we have put our faith and our trust in him. But the truth is, early on, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it seems in our Christian walk that things are simple. We, we, we have put our faith in Christ, and we love him. We have a hunger for his word because we want to know him more. We, we have a hunger to fellowship with other believers because we need that encouragement and we need that in community because we know we need that in order to be sharp and to grow to be who God wants us to be. When we have those early days, we begin to remove things from our life that we know are not pleasing to God and we begin to instill things in our life that we know are pleasing to God. Why? Because we have a sense and a focus and a perspective of God's glory. But somewhere along the way, it can be so easy in our Christian walk. Once we begin that journey and we continue down the road, once the first week is beyond us, so to speak, it is so easy to get cluttered and distracted by all the stuff, the noise of the culture, the political climate, the debates about vaccination and masks, all the chaos throughout the world, all the distractions of our own flesh, all the other pursuits of sports and of media and video games and all these different things. And I'm not saying all these things are wrong, but the reality is for so many of us, we've allowed all these things to enter the vehicle, so to speak. And just like we were getting bogged down with clutter, for many of us, we are so bogged down with clutter that we've lost sight of the simplicity and yet the power of the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30, verse B, uh, the second part of verse 30 says it this way. Whatever you do, do all. Somebody say all. all. Do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Isn't it amazing that in those early days of walking with Jesus, that's our focus. How do we bring glory to God? How do we praise him who saved us and set us free? How do we praise him who's changed us and made us a new creation? How do we praise him who's given me a peace that passes all understanding? Promise me heaven is my home. But somewhere along the way, in our busyness, in our distractions, in the context of the Big C Church, maybe in the context of the local church, maybe in the context of our homes and frankly in our own hearts, it's so easy to get distracted that we lose sight of the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. The question for you and I today is simply this, are we doing that? Are we doing all to the glory of God? Now please understand, that doesn't mean do whatever you wanna do and stamp God's glory on it like a stamp of approval. It means in our life that we are seeking God sincerely. God, what would please you in this moment? God, in this business deal, what would you have me to do so that I can bring glory to you? God, in this generous gift, what would you have me to do so that I can bring glory to you? God, in this role as a student, how can I bring glory to you? God, in this role as an athlete, how can I play and function in a way that brings glory and honor to you? God, in this marriage, how can I bring glory and honor to you? God, as a father, as a mother, as a parent, this is my role. How can I glorify you in this way? 
God, in the context of the local church, instead of just doing what I want to do or what's easy, God, like what would you have me to do that brings glory and honor to you? I think somewhere along, along the way, it has become easy for us to settle for our own glory instead of living for God's. And I think that's the question that God is calling us to as we consider, have we lost it? I wanna speak to you this morning from Exodus 24 and Exodus 32 in a moment on this subject, the danger of losing it. And I wanna ask you if you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're gonna begin reading in verses one through eight and then down through verses 12 through 18 as we see a description of God's people. Now, let me give a brief disclaimer. Number one, we're gonna read about Moses. I want you to know I'm not Moses, okay? Secondly, we're gonna read about the Israelites. We're not the Israelites here today. Please hear me loud and clear. There is not a, a manipulation here. I am not suggesting here that this is what we've done. I am telling you that the Holy Spirit of God is calling us to examine, are we guilty of doing the same things? Have we lost sight of the glory of God? 24 verse one. He, God, said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, listen to this statement, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. He took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people and they said, again, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and he said, Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Get down to verse 12. Now the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there. Now I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment, which I've written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders, he said, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. Listen to verse 16. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud and to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Moses entered in the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. The dangers of losing it, losing our focus on the glory of God. Here in Exodus chapter 24, frankly, it is an exciting time. So see, God has shown himself in the life of the Israelites in an extraordinary way. God has proven that he is not a dead or lifeless God. In fact, he is a God who has all power and all authority. They had been in Egypt and they cried out to God for mercy and God in his mercy heard their cries. God intervened in their life. He raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses and he set the people free from their bondage. God is a God of all power. But not only did he prove that he is not dead or lifeless, he also proved that he is not distant. 
Some people had this idea that God is this great big mysterious being way off in the distance of heaven looking down on us. But the Bible shows us that God is a relational God. He desires to know and to be known. He desires to have that close relationship. So all throughout the Old Testament, and especially with God's people, the Israelites, we see God meeting with them, such as the illustration in Exodus 24, as he meets with Moses on the mountain. But it's in that context today that I want us to see three powerful and I think simple observations about this glory of God that's been revealed and how we should respond to it in our life. Three things I want you to see this morning. If you're ready, would you say, all right. All right, first thing I want you to see this morning is the demonstration of God's glory. The demonstration of God's glory. God demonstrates himself and in doing, he reveals himself and in doing so, he demonstrates his glory. Remember, his glory is about his beauty. It's about his majesty. It's about his greatness. It's about who God is. And when God reveals himself, it always evokes a response from us. Now, throughout the Bible, the Old and New Testament, God has revealed himself in six very specific ways. Some could come up with more perhaps, but I think most of them could be summarized in these six ways. Let me give them to you and you're gonna see one loud and clear in our text. Number one, God has demonstrated himself in creation. All creation, the heavens and the earth, the things in the sea and below the sea, all creation, you, man and woman, yes, the sex that God gave you, all creation as it is, God is the magnificent and divine creator. Psalm chapter eight says it this way. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars who you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? The reality is today is that all creation is pointing us to the reality of a, of a divine intelligent designer, a divine creator that is almighty God. I was reminded of that this week or this trip when we were on our sabbatical, when we went to Yosemite National Park. One day we were at a place called Glacier Point and I was looking out at El Capitan, which is apparently the largest piece of granite in the world. It's like Stone Mountain in Georgia times 100, okay? It's huge and then I'm looking down at Half Dome and I'm looking down at the lower waterfalls to the left and I'm looking at the right waterfalls and I'm so high up, I'm looking down at them and there was just something in that moment as I'm looking down at this magnificent view to realize in light of all these things how small I really am and yet how big God really is. There was something in that moment that just captured awe and wonder to realize God is so great and he's greatly to be praised. Creation reveals the glory of God. Not only is God's glory revealed in creation, it is demonstrated in the manifestation of his presence. All throughout the Bible, and frankly, even throughout the context of our life, we can look in unique and specific ways that God has demonstrated his presence and his power in our lives. In the Old Testament, we see this loud and clear in this text. All throughout the book of Exodus, we see God, a relational God, fellowshipping with and leading his children. In fact, God would manifest his presence by a pillar of cloud and by a pillar of fire. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire to lead the people. Why? Because he had a specific direction that he wanted them to go. In Exodus chapter 40, after God had given instructions about building the tabernacle, verse 34 explains, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Here in Exodus 24 even, 
as Moses is there and God is at the top of that mountain, the Bible says that there's thunder and there's lightning and the people were in amazement. Why? Because the presence of God was there. In fact, it was so much so that verse 17 tells us loud and clear, and to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. God was revealing himself. God has also demonstrated his glory in the incarnation, the incarnation. This is describing the moment when God became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come like a God. He didn't come as a God. He came as God in flesh. Isaiah 7, 14, over 600 years before the birth of Jesus, he prophesied, the Lord will give you a son. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son and she shall name him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. No wonder then that John, the beloved disciple, would say this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's why when the shepherds came that night in Bethlehem, they came and they worshiped and they gave praise to Jesus. That's why the wise men, when they later came to the house, these wise, respected men, they brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and they bowed in worship. Why? Because they recognized that God was revealing his glory in the person of the son, Jesus Christ. God's glory was demonstrated not only there, but God's glory has been demonstrated in salvation. It has been demonstrated in salvation. To experience salvation is to be saved. To be saved means to be rescued. It means to be delivered. It means that we were heading in one direction. We were in a desperate path. We were in a hopeless situation. And God rescued us from that path. It is here that we see the beautiful balance between God's justice and God's mercy. God in his justice knew that we were sinners, that we'd fallen short of his glory, that the wages of our sin was complete separation from him. God in his justice sent his son Jesus to the cross to die for our sins. But God in his mercy called us. God in his mercy pleaded with us. God in his mercy said, Jesus did this for you. He died for your sins. You can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You can be set free. You can be changed. You can be a new creation. God in his mercy called us to salvation. And when you come to that place in your life where you realize I'm a sinner in need of grace, I'm a sinner, I bring nothing good on my own. I can't depend upon my parents' faith. I can't depend upon my grandmama's good works. I can't depend upon my own ideas and my own ways. I can't depend upon some woke philosophy. No, I gotta depend upon the grace of God by believing in Jesus Christ. When you experience that, you experience and get a glimpse of the glory of God that you literally go from being blind so now you can see. You go from being spiritually dead to experiencing the joy of eternal life. You go from hopeless despair to a hope that will never end because it's a living hope focused on and founded in Jesus Christ. That's why Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 says it this way. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. How? What's the purpose? To the praise of his glory. God demonstrates his glory, his greatness, his power, his beauty, his sufficiency in that moment of salvation when he makes a lost sinner alive in Jesus Christ. 
Let me ask you a question. Have you experienced that glory? Have you caught a glimpse of the reality of how gracious and good God is and how unworthy we are? And have you called upon God to forgive you and save you and experience the joy and wonder of knowing you've been forgiven and set free, soul saved, life changed, and from here to eternity, you know that heaven is your home. God's glory has been revealed in salvation. But another way God reveals his glory and demonstrates it is this. He demonstrates it in sanctification. The process of becoming more like Jesus is called sanctification. It means that we've been set apart and called holy, but sanctification is the process of, frankly, living out that calling, that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. God has given us his word, and he's given us the Holy Spirit, but he's also given us the church, the body of believers, to help encourage us and to strengthen us, to edify us, to walk in likeness of the Lord. Paul had this in mind in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, when he says this, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In other words, as God transforms us and works out his purpose and plan in our life of making us more like Jesus, guess what happens? Those around us, the world around us, gets a glimpse of the glory of God. When, when, when Jesus takes some old fishermen and tax collectors who were thieves and he turns them around and makes them devoted followers of Christ, it is a testimony to the world of the glory of God. When God takes a murderer by the name of Saul and he makes him a preacher of the gospel, that transformation, guess what? It demonstrates the glory of God. Could it be that one of the reasons the gospel seems to be falling on deaf ears at times in our culture is because the world looks at the church, frankly, and doesn't see the transformation that we are professing. Could it be that the only difference they see in us is what we're doing on Sunday mornings? See, the sanctification work that God brings in our life it reveals the glory of God to others. Listen, that, that's why even today when we think about the, the, what's going on in Afghanistan, even in the face of persecution, when believers stand, 1 Peter 4 verse 14 says it this way, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Might I say the believers in Afghanistan today, their bold and faithful witness should convict us all and burden us all. God's glory is also demonstrated in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Final thing I'll say here, and we'll move on to the next point. God's greatness, his power, and his majesty will be revealed in the future at the revelation of Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ comes again. See, when Jesus came the first time, there were many people who did not believe in him or accept him as Lord because, frankly, he wasn't the kind of savior they were looking for. Jesus said that men love darkness rather than light. So instead of repenting of their sin and requiring life change in their life, they chose to go their own way and they completely rejected him. But when Jesus comes again, there will be no questions, no doubts, and no misunderstandings of who he really is. Because when he comes back, he's coming back as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. The Bible says it this way in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Philippians 2 says it this way. At that time, at the name of Jesus, I'm sorry, I stated that at time. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Brings a question, doesn't it? Have you caught a glimpse of the glory, the greatness, the beauty, the significance of God? Here's the other part of that question. How is that impacting your life today? I want you to see the second thing this morning in the text is this. I want you to see the devotion that glorifies God. See, the glory of God, when you get a glimpse of it, when you get a glimpse of his greatness and his glory and his mercy and his grace in our life, frankly, it evokes a response from us. You know, when I was in Yosemite National Park and looking out and, and just, just really just getting a fresh glimpse of the glory of God revealed in creation in that moment, it wasn't like this, like, ooh, ah, that's pretty cool, God. In fact, we, we had been dealing with a sickness in our family and we were, we were like coming out of it and it was, at that moment, we were like, you know, we, we pretty much believe like God's, God's spared our lives and God's bringing healing and, and he didn't have to do that. And, and so there was this moment, just looking out, just this sense of awe of what God was doing in our life and this sense of, uh, uh, frankly, this sense of devotion. Like, like God, you've been with us. You've protected us, you have sustained us, you've brought us to this place and you have other things to do. And so it was almost just like this renewed, like, God, I'm yours. God, I'm ready to serve you, I'm ready to get back. And my family was like, yeah, well, let's get home, dad, let's get back now and we've got two more weeks, kids, come on, you know? And so, but there was this, this context of like, of awe, of worship and of devotion. Honestly, it's kind of a glimpse of what we see here in Exodus chapter 24. Now, please understand, when you think about their devotion to God, we often look at our expressions of devotion as an end in themselves. We express our devotion through songs of praise, and rightly so, but those aren't an end in themselves. We look at our expressions of devotion as how we give and, and what, we, you know, what we give generously, and, and this is what we're going to do, and this is kind of the goal. But no, 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 that's not the goal. That's just a means of the goal. We look at our service to the Lord, for example. Well, this is how we, 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 you know, we devote ourselves. And we look at that as like, that's the main thing. So you gotta go to church on Sunday. You gotta sing praises. You gotta, you gotta give. You gotta serve. And we see this long list of things to do. But we often lose sight of the why. We lose sight of the bigger picture. Exodus 24, listen to what they say, verses three and verse seven. You don't see a cool light show a lot of technology, you don't see a lot of singing or whatever else. Verse 23, verse three, I'm sorry. Moses came, recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances and all the people answered with one voice and said, listen to their devotion. All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will what? Do. God, we are looking to you. Our trust is in you. We know we're nothing without you. So God, we're here. We're devoting ourselves to you. Verse seven. He, Moses, took the book of the covenant. He read in the hearing of the people. They said, again, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, yes, they're devoted to God. The word devoted means to give oneself. To be clear, we're all devoting ourselves to something, right? I mean, we, could, we can devote ourselves to to things like video games, we can devote ourselves to sports, we can devote ourselves to all sorts of pursuits, to, to music, we can devote ourselves to studying the trends of the day, we can devote ourselves to good things like, like work and to our families and to our spouse, of course. There's some good things along the way, but there's also many things like some of these other things that can be such a distraction. And what God is calling us first and foremost to do is this, 
to devote ourselves to him. See, many of us will, will come, I think in the context of the Big C Church, we'll come to a Sunday morning gathering, we'll sing songs, we'll clap, and we'll say, yes, I have given myself to God. But we leave without a life that's been changed. We might show up and throw a few dollars in the plate or give online because that's the cool way to do it these days. And, and we'll do all these different things outwardly and say, yeah, I've devoted myself to God. But the, frankly, the, the truth of the matter is we don't have a testimony of a life that's been transformed and changed, fully devoted to him. The Israelites in this moment are like, God, we look to you. We're nothing without you. You, you heard our prayer when we were in Egypt. You showed mercy upon us. You delivered us in an incredible way. You're leading us by the pillar of cloud and by the pillar of fire. You've raised us up a, a deliverer in Moses. God, God, you are everything. You are all that we need. We're looking to you. Whatever it is you call us to do, we know that you're good and we know that you're loving and we know that you're kind and we know that you have a plan and we know that you're leading us to our future. So God, we trust you. We're here for you. We belong to you. We're all yours. We're all in. The devotion that glorifies God is not a devotion that says, yeah, God, we'll do what's easy. God, God we'll, 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 you know, we'll, we'll serve when it's convenient. God, God, we'll show up when we feel like it. Fact of the matter is they understood that the devotion that glorifies God is a devotion that is seen by total surrender and obedience to him. That is the devotion that pleases God. And God is looking at the Israelites in this moment. It's a beautiful picture as they're devoting themselves wholly and completely to him because what they're describing is this. They're basically saying, God, we're all in. Our life is yours. They are giving us an Old Testament picture by their words of what God calls us to in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12 when God says, therefore, in chapter 12, verse one of Romans, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of a worship. They're coming and saying, God, we're all yours. We belong to you. We're looking to you. We're trusting in you. We want to follow you. God, whatever it is you lead us to do, we will obey. Please understand that true worship is always about humbling and surrendering ourselves to the Lord so that our lives bring glory to him. The glory of God always leads us to faithful and sacrificial obedience because we're living for his glory and not for our own. I got to move quickly. But I want you to see a third point in this message, and that is this. I want you to turn with me to Exodus 32, and I want us to see the dangerous disregard of God's glory. Chapter 24 of Exodus ends in a very simple way. God's been there on the mountain. He calls Moses to come up further. The Bible tells us that the Israelites are beholding, they're looking, they're observing the glory of God, the manifestation of his presence, I mean, it looks like an all-consuming fire on the mountain. And Exodus 24 closes with just this little nugget. And Moses is on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights. Well, what do you do in that moment? You're, you're the Israelites. You've been focused on God. You have declared your complete and total devotion to God. 
You know that God is in this case meeting with your leader. You know that God is preparing you for something. You know that God has promised you a future and a hope. You know that God has delivered you from bondage. You know that God has heard your prayers. You know all these times and ways that God has demonstrated himself in your life. What do you do in the moment of waiting? We come to Exodus 32, and let me just say right up front, because somebody's gonna be like, hey man, we, you shouldn't just close with this passage. Like next week, Lord willing, we're gonna look at this in a lot more detail, okay? So I don't wanna rush through it. We're gonna spend a lot more time next week. But I want us to see what the Israelites did in Exodus 32. And then I wanna call us to really examine our own lives, to ask the question, have we caught a glimpse of the glory of God And are we still really doing all that we do for the glory of God? Or have we lost sight of it? Exodus 32. Exodus 25 through 31 tells us all that God's telling Moses about the tabernacle, the ornaments of the tabernacle, living peacefully with men, what to do when things are going crazy. But then he gets to Exodus 32, a summary of what happens amongst the Israelites. 32 verses one through nine says it this way. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, listen to this statement, this golden man-made calf, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and he rose up to play. They're still doing the same things they were doing prior, but they're not doing it to bring glory to God. They're still worshiping, they're still singing, they're still bringing offerings, but it's not for the glory of God. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, go down at once for your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They quickly had turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They had made for themselves a molten calf and have worshiped it and have sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you from the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. You know, not to trivialize this in any way, shape or form and not to make light of it. We have all been grieved, and rightly so, for the ways that a government in Afghanistan has so quickly fallen and been taken over. We should be praying for our leaders, we should be praying for the nations, and we should be praying for God's grace and mercy. But I want to say to us as a body of believers, it should also grieve us how quickly we can go from truly worshiping God to being distracted by all the clutter and all the stuff that we lose sight of the glory of God. 
40 days and nights, 40 days and nights, Moses is there, God is there, and God is speaking to him, but the bottom line is this, the people got impatient with God, they tuned to all the distractions, God wasn't working when they thought he should, God wasn't working how they thought he should, they instead, they forsook, forsook God, they neglected him, and frankly, they settled for a religion with a man-made God of their own making. They lost sight of the glory of God, their need for him. They lost sight of their love for him. And as a result, their devotion to him was nothing but mere words. You know, today, as I think about that in the context of our lives, in the context of the church, I wonder, and the question I've been asking myself and the question I've been thinking in the context of the Big C Church, maybe in each of our lives, is this. Are there ways in which we too have forsaken the glory of God? Are there ways that we've taken our eye off the prize? Is this the reason why at times we stand stoic in worship without any expression or heart at all? Could it be because we've lost sight of the glory of God? Could this be at times why we, we stay at home on our couches and in our places of comfort, not engaged, not involved, not stepping out because ultimately we've lost sight of the glory of God? Could it be that the reason we week in and week out rush out the doors, no community, no connection, no edification, we're just ready to get out and be gone because ultimately we've lost sight of the glory of God? Could it be that the reason why we keep going to that private sin over and over again and over time we begin to justify it and condone it, could it be that the ultimate reason is because we've lost sight of the glory of God? Could it be that the reason why we struggle at times to serve God, we, we don't do so faithfully, we don't do so joyfully or sacrificially because it's not about the time, but really we've lost sight of the glory of God? Perhaps this is why in the context of the Big C Church, we have so easily developed a religion that is about us and our convenience and not really about Jesus. We are often content to talk about him, sing songs about him, but ultimately there's not a light that has been changed by him, devoted to him, or displays him to the world around us. In our culture today, there's no lack of excuses. We often blame it on a lack of time, a lack of resources, lack of opportunity. We point to busyness, we point to the kids, we point to COVID, we point to politics, we point to sports, we point to it all. But isn't the real issue that we've lost sight of the glory of God, his greatness, his beauty, his majesty, and as a result, we stop giving him the worship he is due. The question I've been asking myself over the course of the last several weeks is this. Have I lost sight, focus of the glory of God? Is God's glory alone my passion, my pursuit, my zeal, and the reason for all that I do? And today I ask you, have you lost it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the ways that you speak to our heart and life. I am so thankful, God, that you are a God of grace and mercy God, I, I look at the Israelites and I hear you say in that passage that they're a, a stubborn and obstinate people. And yet, even in the midst of that, you were so gracious and loving and forgiving. And I find so much hope in that because it reminds me that you are gracious and merciful and forgiving to us.
Lord, you tell us in your word in Isaiah 53 that all of us like sheep have gone astray. It is so easy to point the finger at the Israelites and identify their foolishness and ignore the foolishness of our own actions. So God, I pray today where we have sinned against you, where we have lost sight, that today we'd return to you, that today you would restore that vision, that today we'd have a renewed glimpse of your glory and that your glory, like the sandal on the big old vehicle, would not be lost in the clutter, but that it would be the focus of every step, of every decision, of every mile of the journey along the way. Father, forgive us for where we've fallen short. And I pray, as did Moses a few chapters later, that we would be desperate and we would be hungry once again in our lives, in our homes, our marriages, in this local church, in the big C church, God, in this nation, God, that we would desperately cry out, God, show us your glory. And I prayed in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.